Blog Talk Radio. Well, there you have it, my friends. It is another episode of Blog Talk Radio here on Blog Talk Radio, the K Factor, where K equals kindness, and factors are all the things that lead to it. You know, we live in a world where kindness is something that we, in my opinion, need to be much more contemplative about and practice it as though it was a natural part of life, as though it was a habit, a habit that we learned from the time that we were we ones. And by the time we are where we're sitting today, it is so natural for us to feel kindness inside of our heart and extend kindness to others. Now, can you imagine... Can you imagine if in today's world, everyone was extending kindness? And just like that, just poof, and kindness is right there, and it's just happening. That's a possibility. That's a reality. Now, (laughs) what I usually say on here is that this is the K factor, where K equals kindness, And the factors are all the things that lead to it. And I introduce my co-host and remind you that one of the kindest things that I can do for you and with you is I can introduce you to the person who is sitting beside me and being my co-host on the show. But as you know, my co-host for the Daily Show, Ron Williams, busy character of a person that he is, running his businesses and taking care of five beautiful kids, He gets a little distracted in other things sometimes. So whenever it is that he arrives, I welcome him with open arms and absolute genuine kindness because I love it that he's decided that we ought to do this show together. And what is this show? Well, this is The Daily Show with Ron Williams and me, Dr. Deb Carlin. Now, the headline for today was, is, The presidential debates took place last night. Okay, that was yesterday. And this is today. The debate is over, at least number one. But I have a question for you. Are you aware that the real debate is the one which occurs inside of your mind, in your thoughts about which way to turn, who to trust? and who to cast your vote of confidence into. You know, we've, we've got some really big decisions that we need to be thinking through right now. And the kindest thing that I can think of to do here in 2020, I've been thinking about this in the midst of everything that we've all gone through on the planet, but especially here in America, in our United States of America, which is where I was born, It's where I was raised. I have traveled a greater percentage of the world, and I love traveling around the world. But you know what I love most about traveling around the world? I love coming home to the land of the free, the home of the brave, the place where we believe in the pursuit of life, living free, the pursuit of happiness, our liberties, We have the Bill of Rights here, and we have the United States Constitution. And I take those things more seriously now than I ever have in my life. We've heard a lot during 2020 
about how different lives matter. And with all due respect, I do agree. Black lives do matter. White lives do matter. Old lives matter. Young lives matter. Sick lives matter. And I believe that if you want to talk about equality, all lives matter and all of life matters. And I say that with a very warm and loving heart and with every bit of kindness that runs through me. And if you've been dialing into our show, we have a number of ambitions that we want to share with you. First and foremost, the idea that any intimidation should take place, that any violence or destruction should take place in the name of not fighting for a freedom, but demanding a freedom. There's something kind of inside out and upside down about that, you know? So our mission here is to open the doorway so that you can be thinking in your mind in ways that maybe nobody has ever taken the time to invite you into learning about. It's called critical thinking skills. Now, when Ron and I were growing up, and he he and I have had these conversations, there was a lot of talk in grade school and high school and again in college about critical thinking skills because what does that mean? You know, there's only one thing that we have control over in this whole world, in our entire life, and it, it, it all takes place here. It's the outstretch of your hand. That's how big it is. And what I mean by that is hold your hand up to your skull. Hold your hand up to your head. That's the area that you have control over. And you have undeniable and ultimate control over your thoughts, over what goes on in your mind. It's your mind. And, you know, here's a beautiful thought for you, and it's absolutely true. (laughs) You have the whole universe inside of your mind. You can go anywhere. I'm telling you, you can go anywhere inside of your mind. All you have to do is envision it, and it becomes. So whether you've seen it or whether it is just a figment of your imagination, it's real inside of your mind. You can look at pictures. You can watch movies. You can hear things and smell things and recreate them because everything, everything that we experience Consciously, subconsciously, and unconsciously is stored inside of this brilliant, beautiful brain of ours. And isn't it nice (laughs) that when we were created, it was encased into a nice hard shell? It's kind of like the M&M's commercials for the peanuts, you know? (laughs) It's a peanut encased in a nice hard candy shell. Or even that chocolate encased in that nice hard candy shell. It's kind of funny But this is precious candy that we're carrying on the top of our neck here. Anything that we want, we can get through the power of thinking. I could just run you through so many different authors. Have you ever heard of Napoleon Hill, who wrote Think and Grow Rich? That was written a really long time ago, and people have done all kinds of reiterations of it. That's one book I would recommend that you read if you haven't already. 
there's a lot of authors out here who write and talk and speak about and sing about the influence of our mind over our body and our health and our heart. I do a practice with a wonderful group of scientists called Heart Math, where it's biofeedback. And we put a little clip on your ear, a little sensor, and it picks up your heart rate and it gauges what's going on in your mind. It's kind of weird, right, the way that it sounds. But guess what we learn how to do? That form of biofeedback puts our mind and our heart in synchrony with one another. I'll tell you what, I would like to make a deal with that company and get everybody in the country a heart math device because it's so simple and it's so wonderful. But until I'm in a position to solidify and seal and close the deal, you got me here. (laughs) And I'm trying to teach you the ways to allow. And this is the kindest thing that I can do for you here on the K-Factor, on the Daily Show, in the midst of the topic that we're talking about, about the debate of our lives, the debate of our freedoms, the debate of our lives matter. Every one of you out there, your life matters. It sure as heck matters to you. And even if I don't know you, you're a fellow human being. We're all in this together. And if you don't believe it, you don't have to. But guess what? We all wear skin. We all have bones. And we all have the same blood running through our veins. We are all in this life experience together. The kindest thing that I can do is get you to understand critically that in order for us to think clearly and make smart decisions, we really have to be in our right mind. And we can't be in our right mind without there being a sense of calm. And we can't be in a sense of calm unless our heart is traveling there with us. Our heart is so precious. People will often ask me, well, Dr. Carlin, what happens first? The actions of my heart and my emotions or what's going on in my head? You know what I say? I don't care. (laughs) It's irrelevant because the two of them talk back and forth fast, like this, synchronistically, okay? So if one is out of whack, the other one is asking you to please intervene and make right of it. We want to be, here's a secret for you. This is another kind act from me to you today. You know what we really want in this life? It's one thing. We all want it. And when we don't have it, We write songs and poetry about it. We tell stories about it. We cry about it. We all have one thing that we want in this life, and it's called love. And that is no kidding. We want love because with love comes kindness. With love comes happiness. And with love comes our health and well-being. And without that, what are we? And our health and well-being is in our mind. And our mind influences every part of our anatomy and physiology. So if you can lead with that as a belief and embrace that and listen to me here for a few. When I'm talking to you about critical thinking skills, what I mean is, For everything that you think about doing, every action you think about taking, every thought that you have, 
every behavior that you engage in. I want you to think about what the implications are. And that means that I want you to do some contingency thinking. If I do this, then what happens? Let me use an easy one because I was just thinking about this because I was a little uh, indulgent last night. So during the debates, Oh, I had people over, and we ordered a Lou Malnati's pizza. Thick, great crust, real cheesy, (laughs) a layer of sausage, red sauce on top of it, some real tomatoes there, some Parmesan cheese over the top, salted it, a glass of Chianti wine. When I ate that piece of pizza, I thought to myself, I can see it formulating itself on the sides of my face, this fat on the sides of my face. And I felt it. I can still feel it today. It's in my gut. We all indulge. But I had to think, this is part of the critical thinking. I knew what I was doing. I didn't do this unconsciously. I said to myself, You know, when you grow up with certain traditions and you're going to go through something, you want to pull out the traditions because it's going to be a part of what everybody knows and it's common ground and you all enjoy it together. So I'm glad I only had one piece, uh, albeit pretty big pieces. I knew the implication, though. I knew the implication was going to be in part that there would be familiarity, the aromas. You know, our sensuality is very important. The aromas would relax everybody. I knew that people were going to be here. They were going to get amped up about this debate. I knew that we would all be trying not to have outbursts at any particular point in time. So it would be fun. We would be eating. We'd be taking a few sips of wine. We would be watching. We would be laying back. We would be sitting forward. And I knew that it would it would be, uh, you know, a... Uh, a house, a good, a good uh, hostess activity on my part, right? I also knew that I would have regret. I did. I knew that I would have regret, and indeed I do. So what do I do? I think it through, and I made a choice that if I was going to eat that way last night, I was going to eat really light today, and probably, and probably tomorrow. And I would, I would hydrate as normal and overhydrate because I want to really nutrify, you know, keep all the nutrients that I've got going through my body. I take a specific nutraceutical based on my DNA, by the way. So today is all about, hey, last night was fun, but I'm paying the price for it. What's another price that I pay for it? My pants are a little tighter today. This is critical thinking. When something that you do, you don't think through the implications of it, you're going to pay the price, and then you're going to think irrationally, why does this happen to me? Well, the why it happens to you, why anything happens to you, is because some form of engagement took place. Some form of engagement always takes place. There's a behavior, there's a thought, there's a behavior, there's a consequence. And critical thinking skills is about that sequence, okay? So who it is that we decide to follow? 
you know, we have leaders in our midst all over the place. We have leaders in our community. We have leaders in our family. We have leaders in our circle of friends. We have leaders in our, in our, in our circle of work. We have leaders in our communities. We have leaders in our government. And right now, with these debates last night, we're being asked to look at these two gentlemen, and we're being asked to think through critically. They're having a debate. They're debating. What are they debating? Well, quite honestly, last night it was kind of hard to tell what they were debating because it seemed like they were both pretty mad at each other and pretty frustrated with each other. So what we got to what we got to witness as the audience was a lot of um, fighting back and forth, more than debating back and forth. Debating is when you take a central issue and you say, well, here's how I feel about it. Here's how I would address this. And the other person says, well, here's what I would do. And then they look at the points and they, they argue those points. And I don't mean argue by fighting with your dukes up. I mean, you make cerebral activity happen in your brain and then you articulate in your words. Here's what I think. And what you're trying to really do in a debate, and this is lost in what they're calling political debates, because really, if you're on a debate team, you're trying to make the other side come over to your side. That's not happening in a political debate. And in terms of the audience, if the two people in the debate are so busy fighting with one another, the audience is sitting there with their hands up in the air saying, well, what are we doing here? They're not really talking to us. They're fighting amongst themselves. So what are we supposed to do with this? And it gets very uncomfortable. There were times when I was extremely uncomfortable watching the debate last night because I thought, you know, both of these men have got something in the way of experience, and both of them have something to say. Calm down. Be genteel and be very serious about the topics. Don't make jokes and don't call one another names. Make your point. Make it in the time frame that you've got. You came into the debate and you knew what the time frame was going to be. Stick to the time frame. You pretty much know what the terrain is. You know what the issues are going to be. In your mind, you're both bright enough to know what your stance is because you're staunch about your stance. So make your points, keep them tight and succinct, and don't run over and don't don't interrupt. It's not kind. So as we're sitting here and we're trying to make determinations about our future, now there are people, myself included, who believe that this presidential election is the most important one that our country has ever known. I'm not a historical expert. But I know enough to know that that's true. We're at a very pivotal point in our country, in our culture. I am a true blue American. I love the American capitalistic way of life because I'm able to make as much money as I want and do what I want with that money. I'm able to have private property. And I'm able to have a show. <laughs> with with a co-host who I truly value. There he is. It's Ron Williams. Yay! <laughs> I've, been sitting, I've been sitting here yakking away, waiting for you to come in, 
Welcome, Ron Williams. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. I apologize to everybody who's watching. I was on with a client that I've been kind of wanting to be on with for a while. Oh. So we had a, a philosophical conversation that went a little bit longer than, than I was expecting. But I knew that you were in good hands with Dr. Deb. And <laughs> Dr. Deb, what did you think of those darn debates last night? I am right smack in the middle of it right now. And I, I, am, I am talking about the ways in which you and I decided 85 days ago that we needed to do this show. We needed to have this platform because we're both very, very concerned about the state of life in the United States of America, which then influences the entire planet. And that we decided that what we wanted to teach people to do or remind people to do or refresh people to do was engage in critical thinking skills so that they could make critical decisions about where do you cast your vote? Who do you decide when you think through it critically? Where do you decide that you're going to place your trust in which leadership? And last night's debate had me on fire. (laughs) What was your takeaways in no particular order? (laughs) Stop arguing. Are you kidding me? I mean, there's, you know, there's debates and then there's just, you know, uh, street fights. And and there's there's, uh, some sort of, uh, like bar brawls where people go in, they just yell at each other, you know, and, and, and I did not like that at all. I, 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 I was, oh, I was so upset as I was sitting there watching it because I thought to myself, would you two gentlemen please behave yourselves? Would you really, I want to hear what each of you has to say. Now, Chris Wallace has teed it up and said, you know, Mr. President, you know, Mr. Biden, you know, I, I would like to know what you think about this. And, and you have two and a half minutes. <laughs> they both ran over. They ran over each other like they were driving trucks. And 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 they and then really, do you have to say shut up to anybody? Because my mother told me that that was as bad as a curse word. And you don't call people names. You just don't call people names. I mean, other than darling and sweetheart, but and pet names, you know. But you know, like. I, like I would call you uh, Ronnie, Ronnie, Bobani, Banana, Fana, Fofani, Beep, Bop, Bolani. <laughs> Ronnie. But they didn't do that last night. They were tough, man. These two men hate one another. And excuse me, that loathing is not good for the United States of America. That certainly didn't cause any peace in America. You're right. And and when it was done, I was sort of like analyzing it, like maybe intellectualizing it, like maybe he was trying to get him all rattled. And, and maybe, you know, but I think I was, because really, but, but my gut just says they were two, they sounded like two spoiled teenagers, yes, two privileged. Did. Yeah. They were going at it like two privileged teenagers, neither one of them really fully making their, their case or their cause. Now, I broke it down a little bit and. And I, and, I, and, I, and I would say that there's two ways to view the debate. One was the, the contention, which yeah. it, that throws us all off. But yeah. two was just really listening to the agenda. And if I'm Trump, I'm probably going to be a little upset because the media has been pummeling me 100 times a day for yeah. the last like, six, seven months, eight yeah. months, nine you know, that I create, you know, I'm him and you create the greatest economy, more peace, less war, 
you know, you're, you're, you're sort of opening the borders, but legally, you're doing these things right, and all of a sudden they're blaming you for the virus. You're right. under your watch. These things are happening, right. and they're just barely pummeling this guy. So if I'm him, I'm a little bit, I got a lot of pinned up frustration or anger or clarity, whatever it was. So I can sort of understand that anger a little bit. Yeah. But I don't think he expressed it right. But I, when I listened to the points, it, it, nothing about that debate last night changed my mind. You know, right. you, saw, you saw a career politician looking into the camera with insincerity. And then you saw an angry non-politician, you know, being a bully, being tough. Yeah. And, you know, we need somebody who's tough right now because I always say that the, the issues that we're facing right now, and not to be rude, but maybe there's another candidate that we haven't seen yet, but it's not Trump. Then yeah. it, sure, right. it sure isn't Biden to me, you know. Yeah. yeah, you and I have talked about the ways in which we have a very big vision of being able to do some, I think, extraordinarily enormous work where we have ongoing events where we are looking for not the best singing talent, not the best dancing talent, not the person who's the best acrobat or magician, but we're looking for the best leadership talent. And I don't believe that we're going to find it, unfortunately, in a law school. So, you know, you don't need to be a lawyer to be a politician. You need to know the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, but we're overlawed. We're over litigious, all of that. But, you know, Ron, my, my feeling was last night, I didn't even want to think about how I was going to cast my vote because I just felt, I, I, I felt so uh, personally ashamed for the United States of America. I, I dialed into that, that debate last night wanting to relax. I have been uptight since January, and I do all kinds of things to unwind myself. I work with people to unwind them. And in the process of unwinding another, I unwind myself. I do my daily prayers and my meditations and all that. But, boy, I'll tell you what. You start talking to me about what's happening and what the threat is, or I see one city after another being completely decimated, and, and I get wound tight really quick. So I really wanted to see last night two gentlemen, two statesmen, two well-educated men, two Americans talking about their love and concern for America. Yeah, two guys that put the greater good first. Yes, there you go. (laughs) Right? Yeah, they didn't do that. Uh, Unfortunately, they fell way short of that. And I'm not going to fault one or the other. I just think they both fell way short of it. And um, regardless of what the extenuating circumstances may or may not be, I know there's a lot on the line. Um, Some of the policies that I came away with is that I don't think, and I'm just going to say this, and I think this is common sense. I don't think you use the coronavirus against Trump. I just don't think you do. I don't think you do either. What are they talking about? Yeah. It's unfair. No, and 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 by the way, uh, there are so many hands all over this coronavirus, which, excuse me, originally came out as the Wuhan virus, but we've forgotten that that special delivery package came from China, 
And, right. and, and we better not forget that it was this president, whether you support him or not, said all flights between China and the United States of America are stopped now. And he was called xenophobic. Now, how about virophobic? By the Democrats. They were, they were kind of making fun of him for shutting it all down. Now they're saying that he responded too late. I just th- And then they're saying, and the economy, because of you, under your watch. I mean, just th- if your campaign needs a virus to make an argument, then you suck. Oh, Ron, what a statement. Really? <laughs> if your I, campaign needs yeah. a virus to, as an equalizer for you, then you're in trouble. And you're I think Americans see through that. Yeah, I don't like that at all. But well, I'll tell you what, our listening audience is growing because our in the studio here, I have a panel where I can see all the people trying to call in. <laughs> oh, brother. And they didn't come on until you until you showed up. But I, when you showed up, I got more fired up about it. <laughs> well, you know, I just, I, I, I was a little bit angry. I think what last night proved is about anybody could run for president. <laughs> about anybody could. If you put enough money in the bucket, you could get in there. Yeah, it just um, it frustrated me a little bit, and and I think Biden made a couple of good points along the way as well. I don't think he was completely, uh, you know, irrelevant. I think he made some really key points. But overall, when I listen to the agenda on law enforcement and the economy and the coronavirus and all the stuff that you know, um, what people don't know, and Trump pointed this out, he asked him how many law enforcement agencies are in support of yeah, Biden. Yeah, and you. Yeah. And then in 1994, Biden wrote a law enforcement bill that was the most strict bill you could ever imagine, extending penalties and ex- you know all these things. And so it makes you kind of wonder, you know, whether he believes what he believes or he's under the thumb of all of his donations. Extending felt- wait, extending penalties? How? I don't know what law you're talking about that he wrote. Well, he wrote a proposed bill that you know. That, that added to the penalties of certain crimes. Like oh, dramatic. okay. More stringent. Yes, much more. And so I guess what it raises is the question is, what does he really believe that? Or is he under the thumb of all his donors so he could not give any answer? And that's what I sensed last night. Is he just couldn't give answers to certain questions that would hurt his donations or hurt his support. If he, if he says one answer, then he could, he could lose the support of the voters. If he says another answer, he can lose the support of his backing. Right. So he was giving no answer in a, in a couple of occasions. Yeah. You know, several occasions. So let's list out what those occasions were. Um, those occasions were the, um, hang on a second here. Those occasions were when he was being asked about, um, uh, when he was when he was being asked about um, law enforcement, am I mistaken, or was he saying that um, he believes that police should not be abolished, but when there's a crime, we should send like a psychologist and a social worker out with the police in order to de-escalate the situation? Did he actually say that, or am I dreaming that? Yeah, let's put the psychologist in danger. Yeah. 
Because I can tell you what, I'm not going. Yeah, it, it's, um, yeah, I was really disappointed in, in some of that. And he was trying to play uh, neutral as much as he could. Cause right. Neutral is a deception. I want to make sure everybody knows that. Neutral is deception. And uh, I felt a lot of neutrality from uh, at least Trump would say, yes, this is what I believe in, this is what I don't believe. He was just boom and boom. And I would much rather have that kind of leadership than neutrality because neutrality means you could get blindsided. And I smell blindside coming from the Biden side. Not not from Joe Biden himself, but all things behind it, yes. All right, so let me ask you a really important question. And this is one of the, there's a couple of really scary things about this political race for me. One is this new Green Deal. Joe Biden surprised me last night when he said, that is not my agenda. And I thought, whoa, really? That's 180 degrees from what I've heard out of you, I think, but out of your running mate for absolute sure and out of the team that your running mate is a part of what we call the squad. Am I am I off base here somewhere? Tell me I'm wrong. No, no, no. That's one of the issues too, where he was trying to be neutral and not be, you know. And I think he's going back and um, probably backtracking with his groups today, you know. And I, I think Trump is getting some feedback from his people. I, I don't think Trump was at his best. Uh, I think they're both getting feedback from their their respective parties, like, hey, it's got to be a little different. Well, I don't think that um, that Mr. Biden was being neutral at all. He flat out said, I do not support the new Green Deal. That is not my plan. That is not my plan. And it, I mean, it came right out of his mouth. I, I, I was shocked. You didn't hear him say that? I did, but he said that, but then he also defended it by saying, we'll do this, and we'll do that, and we'll do this, and we'll do that. And then Trump said, well, that's going to cost $100 trillion, $100 trillion, $100 trillion, $100 trillion, which would take 100 years to fund and finance. And, um, yeah, so it got a little bit, um, yeah, like they're selling propaganda a little bit. I'm all for green energy. I'm all for environmental friendliness as much as possible and whatnot. I think that there's probably a good balance that could be met and found in improvements. Yeah. But that sounded extreme yeah. and propaganda-ish when you're selling it to the world because it may not ever happen the way that they're saying. Well, here's here's the interesting thing that, that I've learned. I, I've been um, a proponent of solar energy since um, since I left Chicago in my 20s. And, and moved out to the middle of 900 acres in Missouri. And my then husband and I lived, we went back to the live off the land. So we had wood heat only, no air conditioning, fans, ceiling fans in every room, uh, uh, skylights. Um, we had electricity and we had propane, but we had, um, for food, we had a huge organic garden and orchard, and so what we ate was only what we grew or who we knew. <laughs> so it was a very different lifestyle for this Chicago native to go back to the rural land, you know. 
but one of the things that that we had asked about in terms of solar panels is do they last forever and how do you dispose of them when they expire and it do they last forever? no and when they expire they're a toxic waste risk now i can't tell you everything i know about that but if that is absolutely true then we need to refine that science now here's the other part and i do know about this part the wind energy now, I think wind energy is great, you know, particularly coming from the Windy City. I think it's fabulous. However, big however, the big however is those windmills are ugly. And there's a lot of birds that fly into those windmills and get killed. Now, that may not sound like a big deal, but it means a lot to those birds and their families and the bird flocks. And I don't know how many thousands or hundreds of thousands of birds have gotten hit. But when I'm driving, I feel like I'm, I drive a lot between Chicago and St. Louis. And when I'm driving or out to like Wyoming or Colorado, and I see these big windmill farms, couldn't they have made them aesthetically pleasing? Can't we have, in addition to gentility of all people, can't we have everything be aesthetically pleasing, please? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is why couldn't we make windmills something more fascinating to look at or something, you know? Yeah, why can't they? Well, why can't windmills be the same thing like they are in Holland from the olden days and have people live in them and have those? I mean, the land, if you fly over the United States of America, there's a lot of open land. And quite frankly, the farms are too huge with hundreds and sometimes thousands of acres that are now corporate farms, not family farms. Well, what if we have family farms? And what if we have the windmills? And the windmills double up as where your health lives or where your kids get to move when they're teenagers or where there are guest houses. And, you know, there's gardens there so that people can be self-sustaining or at least contribute to the, self, the self-sustaining nature of the people whose farm that is. We're so out of whack with just being simple and genteel. <clears throat> Yeah, I agree. Now, you know, I think that there's room for growth there and in terms of, you know, where we're going to go from energy, you know, being energy efficient. Uh, I just don't, you know, I think what I'm learning from it all is that why do we have to be so extreme about it? Right. Because maybe maybe that extreme belief is what's in the way. Maybe we, we inch our way there. When I say inch, you know, just progress, always making progress there making calculated steps, not high-risk ones. I like that. And, and so that's kind of my, my view on it because, again, I'm kind of a liberal uh, who has conservative values. That, that's the problem is that I'm a very open thinker and, you know, I, I side with the, the human side of everything, you know. Um, but, I, but I've learned that there are things that human beings need. They need peace. They need safety and security. Yes. They need... Um, I don't want to say abundance, but abundance, you know, look, money and security rank up there with oxygen. They do. And it shouldn't be that it defines you. It just means that it's a part, it's an extremity of your health, just like your mental health, your psychological health, your mental health, your spiritual health, your physical health, your financial health, all of those things, they play into factoring your whole being. So it's not like money is everything. It's just, again, it ranks up there with oxygen. So all I'm saying is that 
I, I like the idea that they talked about energy last night, and I thought I think I think Biden thought he was going to crush that last night, and he really didn't. No. He actually did. He, he he struck out on it actually. Yeah. You know, um, it's interesting. When I was uh, before all this Corona Barona started, I was um, looking at having my website redone, the Partners in Excellence Dr. Deb Carlin website. And there was a, a gentleman out in um, New York who had put a fabulous website together for a gal by the name of Gabrielle Bernstein. And she calls herself a spiritual junkie. And I thought that's a disgusting name, but she actually really kind of had been a, a, a drug addict junkie. And so when she found her spirituality, she really called it out the way that it was. And her website is just beautiful. She's beautiful. And the website is beautiful. So I made an appointment. We sat on a, a long zoom call talking about my perspective about authentic, holistic well-being, which is a term that I coined several years ago, people are talking about wellness. Okay. We need to expand it off of diet and exercise and then well-being. Well, what are you talking about? I'm talking about what, what is authentic and always holistic. And, and he asked me this very interesting question. He had a very unusual name. It was like X or zoo or something. Anyway, what he asked me was, he said, what do you think is the most foundational part of well-being, authentic, holistic well-being. I said, well, other than your spirituality, your financial, your fiscal comfort zone, so I call it not your physical, but your fiscal comfort zone is absolutely essential. And by the way, you could have too much money and it's making you crazy. We've watched people make a ton of money and they go bonkers. They're not healthy. Or they thought money was going to make them happy, and yeah. all it did was expose them. Expose them. If you're not happy without it, you may not be happy with it. You That's know? right. That's right. So whether you're you're in an, in an abundance or you're in a depletion, if you're not comfortable in your physical comfort zone, your well-being is thrown off because you can't stand it. Because in either position, you are you are on that teeter totter, tipping all the time, feeling uncomfortable. And right, yeah, a lot of people, they resist money because they think it'll make them miserable and evil. And other people get the money and they say, oh, I thought it would make me so happy. No, there's only one thing that makes you happy. Your soul, your mind, your heart, all of that being in union with itself. Love it. Well said. I agree. Um, I agree. I was having a thought about last night a little bit more. What was it? It was... um, Oh, it'll come back to me. Sorry, uh, it'll come back to me. But yeah, I was I was overwhelmed. I had a hard time going to sleep after that last night because I, oh, I know what I was going to say. I didn't think Trump looked good. That was the worst I've seen him look in a long time, and um, he looked tired. You know, really, really tired. And you know, look, he's a fighter, man. And thank God that he is because we need that right now in our country. But last night, you know, wasn't pretty. Um, I would also like to comment on his taxes, you know, because a lot of people, you know, unfortunately, probably, I'm going to say 90% of Americans are not real tax savvy. Right. So taxes are designed to either pay the government this way for your money, you know, for taxes, or you invest into the economy. Right. 
written, not by Trump. Right. It's written on tax. No, some but of them you, were written by Biden, from what? Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> if you have, Biden, Mr. Biden. If, if you have, if you're having a good financial year, a good tax, a good tax accountant is going to tell you, hey, you can either pay this much in taxes or you can invest into another business of some sort. And clearly, that's what Trump does. You know, he invests in other businesses. Some businesses win, some businesses lose. Um, you know, and if it's a wash, then you have a good tax accountant, you know, tax yeah, attorney, whatever. Right. And so people get deceived by, you know, he's some, somehow escaping that. No, he either invests in the economy, he either makes money or he either loses money. And a good attorney or a good accountant is going to make it all balance out the right way because somebody of his stature and his visibility is not going to fly in the radar. That's right. I think it's inappropriate that we ask for people to share their tax their tax files. I think those are personal. They don't say anything about um, the character of the person. They don't say anything about their ability to be a leader. And and they um, they deflect from what the real issues are. It's all this personal attack stuff, you know. It was like Melania. Well, she's not even an American. Well, I thought that you were very excited about having immigrants in the country. Um, so the hypocrisy bothers me, but you know, when you're talking about Mr. Trump, President Trump, and how he looked last night, I actually thought that he looked very good. There was only one problem. I thought he looked so angry. He just looked so angry. Well, I'm not going to justify it for him, but I know this about me, and I'm pretty thick-skinned. I'd be pissed if I had a moment to get up there on stage after all the media propaganda, the fake news, just nonsense. Yeah. You know, posturing him up while he's in his basement, you know, and can barely remember his name at times. And and I would probably get out there with a lot of pinned up energy. And I think that's what we saw in him last night with Trump. I do think that Chris Wallace was an inappropriate moderator. I do not. Think, yeah. I do not think that he treated both candidates with equality or consideration. And um I think that he he is he is not his father, Mike Wallace, and I think he's a little what we call too big for his britches, and and he he did not have appropriate deference for who these men are. Just because you get to talk to them as a media person, just because you get to be in the room with them, just because you get to interview them, don't mistake that they are not miles beyond you with what it is that they're carrying on their shoulders. Yeah, I felt Chris Wallace was not, he just wasn't on point, you know. He was just off point and missing the mark a couple times. And times he was being firm, he didn't need to be firm. Times that he wasn't being firm, he needed to be firm. He was just off point. He was snickering sometimes, too. Yeah, he, yeah, he seemed a little flabbergasted, and the way he probably expresses that is exactly the way you just described it. Yeah, yeah, he did scold those gentlemen and told them that they knew what they were coming out there to do, and that they had they had they had both been naughty. <laughs> well, you know what? Maybe he is a media person of influence, so to speak. Maybe he needs to think about that. Maybe he needs to stick that in his pipe and smoke it for a while. Because he's part of the crew who has, I think, really 
ruined the spirit of the nation. I used to love watching the news because there were elegant, wonderful people on there who never talked over one another. They were never crude. They never sat around and made fun of anybody. They were true professionals. I do not like it. I don't like the name calling. I don't. I, and I won't even repeat the names that people are called because I just I disapprove. And I don't like these news commentators who come out there and they are just so filled with their opinions. Now there are some people. If you're if you're if you're a news person, that's one thing. But you should come out there and deliver the news in a really straightforward way. And and people are going to wonder what side you're on. There really shouldn't be sides, but they're going to wonder. Now, there's a judge that I like who's in her 70s, Judge Jean, Jean Perot or whatever her name is. I think she's amazing, but she's a judge, and she's not a media personality. She's not a journalist. Journalism, I don't see journalism these days. I don't. Well, if I were to give Chris Wallace any credit, is it? You didn't feel he was biased last night. Uh, if anything, he might have even been leaning like, I don't know, I won't say, but I would say he didn't seem biased. If you get Anderson Cooper up there, yeah, you're going to sense bias, you know, uh, from CNN. Who, um, who are the other debates going to be managed by? I don't mean I don't recall. I, I haven't looked. I haven't looked either. Yeah, maybe we don't want to know yet. Right, I agree. <laughs> uh, if, I, if I were to give Chris Wallace any credit, is that he didn't seem to be siding with anybody, even though he works at Fox. Uh, he was holding his integrity in terms of neutrality. Uh, and, 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 again, just off point. So I don't think that he was intentionally off point. I just think he was off point. I thought he paid a little bit too much deference to Mr. Biden. Yeah, he, he might have. I would say that Trump was more disruptive, but Biden was probably, he went down to the bottom of the barrel. (laughs) I think that that's a true assessment. I made that observation as well. Yeah. Apparently he's a hothead himself. He's very, he has a temper. And, um, and I think that, you know, I think Trump wanted to, I think Trump wanted to exploit Biden's, Mental incapacities, you know, if that's even a word, but yeah. I think you want to point that a little bit. And I think he also wanted to clear, clear the record that the media has been painting one picture. So Trump asked him a lot of questions, you know, and I don't even think Biden asked Trump a question. Hey, would you answer this question for me? I don't think Biden ever did that last night. Trump did it a few times, like say law enforcement, say it, you know, yeah, right. or talk about the Green Bill or you know, that kind of stuff, uh, Biden would do it, you know, or talk, there was one exchange, it was really interesting when Trump was going after uh, Hunter Biden. Oh, yeah. And and then Joe Biden says, my son, he was finished the military with honors and blah, 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 blah. And and you could tell Trump was like, are we talking about Hunter here? And then Joe goes, no, my other son. He goes, oh, I don't, you know, I'm not commenting about him. I'm talking about Hunter, you know, right, right. who got this and who got that. And he took this and got three half million from the, from the mayor's wife of Moscow. And, you know, he, so, so that was an interesting exchange. It was. Because Biden almost had you at his heartstrings defending his son. 
then you realize it was a different son they're talking about. So it's like, ah, throw that out, you know. Throw it way out there. And he never answered the question. Right. And nothing's, you know, the the interesting thing about so much of what's happened in our country, which is so counterproductive for our citizens in for the spirit of America, is that we see people marching in the streets angry. Well, don't be angry at me. Why don't you be angry at the people who have taken really bad advantage? I mean, really, seriously. Did you really take Air Force Three as the vice president's son and go to another country? And did you really bring back all that money? Did you take all that money? Did you did you have some nefarious thing happen that you're ashamed of? And if you are ashamed of it, well, okay, you know, we've all done things that we're ashamed of, but how far are you going to stoop to hide it, to deny it, and then to attack the people who are wanting to talk about it? The, the moment that I connected with Biden last night, and I did connect with him at one point, is when he did look at the camera and say, I have a son who is addicted to drugs, and he conquered that. And I love my son, and I'm proud of him for that. I, I, I related to him for that because I do have compassion. That is a disease. and um, I, I have more of a problem than somebody misrepresents it, like they're normal and they're good and they're all that. But, but the way he kind of said that last night, I'll admit, I was like, okay, cool. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the debate ended with um, sort of a, I felt let down. There was no real closure. There was no lovely, eloquent closing statement from either candidate. Well, you know, it made me want to be up there. I hate saying it. I just still feel like an armchair quarterback. But I wanted to be up there. Yeah. I wanted to be up there and say, right in the middle of the heat, say, look, America is looking to you and I to be bigger and stand for the greater good right now and yes. to show some hope. And yes. we are doing a poor job of it. Yeah. I commit to hope if you commit to hope this very minute and let's go. Why couldn't somebody just say that last night? Why I was could, worried. Yeah. Why <laughs> yeah. couldn't? All right, so I have an idea. Why don't you be the president and be the presidential candidate, and I'll be the vice president candidate. <laughs> and let's go, because we could make it lovely and healthy and use all the technology that we have to make the country a better place. Just have a little bowl of popcorn up on the podium and just yeah. you know, make it relatable, because these guys got up there with a poker hand, both of them. And both of them, neither of them conveyed full transparency. Although I will say, in my opinion, Trump got transparency work because he didn't like something. He said, I don't like it, and here's why. He liked something, he said, I like it, and here's why. Yeah. Biden was just always in the, in the political yeah. 48 years in politics. I think, I think Trump's comment, I've done more in 47 months than you've yeah. done in 47 years. Yeah. Absolutely true. Yeah. Absolutely true. Why do they make these men stand for an hour and a half? I don't know. Good question. Tradition. I think it's I think it's tradition and you know those podiums and the official nature of it and I think they should be sitting at a table. I think it should be a round table and I think they should be sitting across from each other at a round table. And two commentators, a male and female who are just sort of you know, sitting at the table with them, kind of doing this thing. Oh yeah, yeah. I like that. I think that that would really be good. Maybe let's we. Let's you and I. Let's you and I do that. <laughs> That's a 
That's exactly what I was going to say. Come on, who do we know? Who can we call? Who has a round table? <laughs> <laughs> who has a round table? We'll get the presidential round table. But, I mean, really, everything about the setup of it was just so wrong. First of all, it took place, like, probably two hours later than what it should have. You know? And it was, it was, uh, I don't know, the whole thing was contrived. And I, I do think, I, I did worry about Mr. Biden because I thought that he was saying things that was really going to get him in trouble with the people who have really propped him up and put him in that, in that position as the presidential candidate. And I, and I think he's going to pay dearly for that. I will also say on the matters of racism last night, um, Trump does not have a history of being racist. Right. He just does. In fact, there's a lot of, you know, black people who work for him, who love him, who, yeah. who believe in him. He has great black support because he's just like, he doesn't even give that a lot of energy. Right. Whoever has a history of it, you know, oh, and, yeah. and if, you're not, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. And just stupid things that he said. Uh, I think he's poker facing. I think he's politicizing coronavirus. I think he's politicizing race. I think he's politicizing the economy that's broken from the coronavirus. I think he's politicizing everything that he possibly can because he has to, because he can't win on his own merits. That's my opinion. I I am in 100% agreement with you. It's terrible, isn't it? And if I were Trump, I might be a little angry too. Doubt that I would express it the way he did last night. Easy for me to say. I get it. But I wasn't impressed with Trump's demeanor last night. I'm impressed with his agenda and his black and whiteness and his toughness. I love those things about him. Same old, same old. You know, he could be a little bit more respectful. Can you believe it? 90 seconds. No, 90 seconds. So here we go. I've been babbling. You go. No, no. At the end of our show here, friends, I want to say, I'm really glad that you are here with us today. I look forward to tomorrow. And, you know, we're on it. We want you to think critically about everything that we've said and just run yourself through the exercises that I talked about before Ron got here today. And we'll be tomorrow for more. This is Dr. Deb Carlin and Mr. Ron Williams signing out for today. And, Ron, hang on. We say a tout allure. <laughs>